Help us to have the strength to do the right thing. And Lord, as we look at your word today, would you speak to our hearts? Would you make it clear and give us understanding that, Lord, that we might know what to expect and we might know how to live and we might learn of that which you are going to yet do. So minister to us, I pray, in the power of your Holy Spirit, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our subject today is the second death. Most people only see one death, and they see that at the, fun- at the funeral home. Yet the Bible talks about a second death, which many people sometimes are not even aware of. But we need to understand that there are two lives, two deaths. Two lives, two deaths. Now, everybody will experience the two deaths. The question is, when will you experience it? And that's the thing that you and I have to answer. When will we experience our second death? We are all born once. Some are born twice. Everybody is born of a woman or a mother, as we call it. But scripture says in John chapter 3, he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again, born from above. Not born of flesh and blood, which he speaks about earlier in the text, but you must be born from above. So there's two births, your mother's birth and your heavenly birth or spiritual birth. There are two deaths. Now understand this. The physical death and the spiritual life. The physical death, Satan cannot control. God does. That's why the scripture says he has already numbered our days. Satan doesn't create. So Satan can't give life. But God can. And if Satan was all powerful, none of us could be born again. Because Satan would stop that. But what Satan's hinders is this, our spiritual growth. And we're going to see how he hinders that and how he stops some people from even knowing about the Lord Jesus Christ and really experiencing that Christ life. But we need to understand that there's two deaths that we all will experience. You're going to experience the physical death. And you experience a spiritual death. And we'll get there to that. 
Go with me to Revelations. And go to chapter 20. And I want you to take note of something. After we leave chapter 20 and we go into 21 and 22, you don't hear anything more about death. You don't hear any more about the beast. You don't hear any more about Satan. You don't hear any more about the false prophet. All that you hear about is heaven. From 21 and 22, all you hear about the new Jerusalem coming down and the new heaven. You don't hear about any more diseases, plagues, anything else. It's all over with. So in that verse 11, he says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them, no place to hide now. As you read Revelation earlier, they told the rocks, to fall upon them that they might hide from God. No place to hide. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Underline, you don't have that. Books, because it's in the plural. The road to destruction is wide, and the road to eternal life is narrow. There's going to be more people who are going to be out of heaven or missing heaven because they've chose to live a certain way. And he uses the word books, plural. But then he comes back and he says, standing before the throne and the books were open. Then he says another book was open. But he doesn't use the plural. He uses the singular. Another book was open, which is the book of what? The book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done. As recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged. Each person is judged according to what he has done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire... The lake of fire is the second death. Because they did not die to self earlier, they now experience the second death. The Christian died when he accepted or she accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They experienced their second death at that point. For Paul says, it's no longer I that liveth, but it is Christ that liveth in me. And he saw himself as dead, but yet Christ alive, and he's living. And he says, for me to live is Christ. So there was a dying to self that would allow Christ to live in him. Now, There are these two books. One is the plural, another is the singular. Both books, people are judged for what they have done. And the question is, what are we talking about when we say what they have done in that verse 13? According to what they have done. 
Now, I want you to understand this. Nobody will go to hell for adultery. Nobody's going to go to hell because of fornication. Nobody's going to go to hell because of drugs. Nobody's going to go to hell because of drunkenness. Nobody's going to go to hell because they curse. Nobody's going to go to hell for what we call all these sins. We go to hell for one reason. We did not accept the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we will be judged doing. What did you do with Jesus? Now, for the non-believer, his only judgment is, I provided, you rejected. Period. I provided Jesus Christ as a way for you to spend eternity with me. You rejected that way. Why? Well, I thought you were Buddha. I thought you was this. I thought you were that. I thought, no. I made it very plain to you. In Acts 4.12, there's no other name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved. And we're going to talk about that some. God makes it very plain to us. But it's our choice. I can reject him or I can receive him. In St. John 1, he talks about for as many who received him, he gave them power to become the children or the sons and daughters of God. He gave them power to live a different life. Both are judged. Go over to 2 Corinthians with me. Chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because the Christian then is going to be judged differently than the non-believer. And we need to understand that. Both will be judged for what they did with Jesus. For the Christian, you're going to be judged on the very fact from the moment you accepted Christ, how did you live then for Christ and for the glory of Christ? For the non-believer, you're just going to be judged on one issue. Why didn't you accept him? You didn't accept him. Now, so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body. That's not stated in Revelations 20. It just says that we all will appear, and it's called the white throne judgment. Now, there's a reason both books are there. And I believe both are going to be there. Some believe that only the non-believers are going to be there. I believe both will be there for this purpose, because both books are there in which they're going to be judged out. The one is going to give his excuse why he did not accept Jesus, but the saved person is going to give their reason why they did accept Jesus and was saved. And the unbeliever will hear the believer state why they accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and they're saved 
and they will understand when he throws them into the lake of fire, the reason they experience the second death is because the Christian experienced the second death when he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says for the Christian at the judgment seat of Christ, and there's those two judgments, the judgment seat of Christ and the white throne judgment. One is for the believer, the other is for the unbeliever. For the believer, he's going to answer, what did you do for Jesus while you were in the body from the time you accepted Christ? How obedient were you to the word of God? To the non-believer, the obedient issue will never come up. Why? They never place themselves under the authority of Jesus Christ. See, I have authority of my children. I do not have authority of another's. But I do have the authority of my own children. God takes authority of his own children. And at a certain time at night, if your mom and dad don't know you're spending the night at my house or you haven't been invited into my house, there comes a time for you to go where? And God is giving the unbeliever what he wanted, separation from himself. And it's time for you to go home that is called hell, not heaven. Now, they both will be judged. What scripture is telling us is that everybody will be judged. Now, in evangelical thought, there are these two positions. And that's why sometimes in the theories, if you study the theories, you find only two judgments. The white throne judgment and judgment seat of Christ. In the premillennial theories and so forth, they say, well, the Christians are being judged while the tribulation is taking place. Well, that may not be so. Because God is not trying to give us a timetable for judgment. What God is trying to share with all of us, you will be judged. Everybody will be judged. Not about a timetable, when that will happen. But everybody will be judged. Why some people call it the general resurrection or the general judgment because all are going to be there to be judged. Rather, the judgment seat of Christ takes place first and then the white throne judgment follows. And the whole process and what brings that up is this. If Christians, if people accept Christ during the tribulation period, when are they judged? And that is a question that has to be answered if all are going to be judged. That those who are saved during the tribulation period, when will they be judged? Because we don't have a scripture for that. 
if the saints are being judged during the tribulation period, then when do the Christians who are born again during the tribulation period, when are they judged? And that might help us to see that, yeah, the judgment seat of Christ takes place and then the white throne judgment takes place. And that's why both books are opened there in Revelation 20 because both are being judged. But one will hear the answer of why they accepted Christ and the others will understand that they missed the mark. Now, go with me to John chapter 5, 28. John 5, 28. John chapter 5, verse 28. And you can find other verses similar to this. It says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their grave will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. And those who have done evil will rise to be what? Condemned. So at the white throne judgment, they rise to be condemned. At the judgment seat of Christ, they already have life. They rise to explain what they have done with this gift of life that we call eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, when you go into verse 40 of that chapter 5, he says, boy, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Understand, we don't possess eternal life because of the scriptures. We possess eternal life because whom the scriptures define as the one who gives eternal life. Not because of the scriptures itself, but who the scriptures then define who gives eternal life. And he, he, he goes on and he says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. There are the scriptures that testify about me. Now listen to what he says in that verse 40. Yet you refuse. You did what? That's a conscious decision. You refused to come to me to have life. Catch this. To have life. Well, what do you have now? If you're an unbeliever, what do you have? Do you have life? Well, you have the physical life. What you don't have is the spiritual life. And you are considered dead to God or separated from God. Understand that death is only a separation from the one who created you. 
Life is something you have that will go on eternally, whether in heaven or hell. You were created as an eternal being. Now, while I'm on this, let me share this. God never planned for you to die. When he created Adam, he never planned for Adam to die. Only when Adam's disobedience took place and was deceived or tricked by a lie of Satan that Adam experienced death as he left the garden. But as he left the Garden of Eden, something transpired because Adam now was no longer, in a sense, an eternal being, but he took on, in a sense, mortality that at some point he was going to die, where in the garden there would not have been anything about death. And then we see that come to truth all the way in Revelations 22, because now we're going to spend eternity with who? With God, and we never what? We never die. We never die. What was created in the beginning comes to tuition at the end. Every one of us in this room is going to die. And you don't know your date. And the only reason they gave you a birthday for you could know that when you were born. And there will be people who will know the date that you died. You won't. Now, he goes on, he says, as a believer is what you have done in the body that really counts. And that's what you're going to be judged on. As an unbeliever, it's going to be based on your rejection of Jesus. But both have to give an answer or a response to what they did with Jesus. Now, go to Acts with me. Acts 4.12. We touched on it, but let's go to Acts 4.12. Because people want to pick and choose who they want to worship and who they want to call God and how they're going to be saved. You have to really study scripture. And if you study scripture, you'll understand there's only one name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved. Period. And you'll know that. So in 4.12 he says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Saved. No option. Now, we have a friend, and the way that we come to know her was that my dad, at 93 years old, was planning to get married again. And the young lady he was going to marry was 89. And uh, she was raised up as Second Baptist. 
But somewhere along the way, her daughter became a Buddhist. And when you go into her house, she got her little area where she prays to Buddha and so forth. She knows her little chants and so forth. And you'll never catch her without a flower in her hair because it's a sign of peacefulness for a Buddhist. And we talked to her about Jesus Christ. And she sees Jesus as a nice prophet. She sees Jesus as a godly man, which many people do, many other religions. In Islam, Jesus is the second highest man in the book. He was a great prophet, not greater than Muhammad, but the second greatest prophet. Every religion will recognize Jesus as a great prophet, but they don't see him as the Son of God or God himself clothed himself in humanity. That makes the big difference. Now, in Christianity, either we're 100% right or we're 100% wrong. It's one or the other. But when you look and at the other books, Islam, over one-third of Islam is a copy out of the Bible. Many of the other sayings of other religions come from the Bible. But oftentimes we don't study the Bible good enough that when we're reading something else, we say, oh, I read this before. And can place where I read it at. And he says, you have to make a decision. Because there's only one name in which you can be saved. There's a lot of names that you can follow after. There's a lot of names you can worship. But there's only one name in which you can be saved by. And that's the name of Jesus. That's the name of Jesus. Just that one name. And people say, that's not fear. Yes, it is. Because it's not confusing. And God is not the author of confusion. Satan has brought in all this confusion of all these other gods and all these other religions. God is very clear. There's only one name under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved. There is no other. Go to John 14. Some of these you've already know, but I want to hit them again because as we go a little deeper, you're going to need them. He says in 14 and verse 6, he makes it very clear. Jesus answered, because Philip is asking, how is it that we would know the way? And Jesus is going to answer Philip by simply saying, in verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way. In other words, there's no other way to get to heaven. There's no other way to get to the Father. There's no other way of being spiritual. There's no other way of getting your life together other than through Jesus Christ. He says, I'm the way. And he says, and the truth. In other words, I'm not going to lie to you. Satan lies. And he says, I'm not going to lie to you. And he goes on, he says, I'm the truth, but catch this other one now. I am the life. 
In other words, you don't have life without me. If you don't have life without me, what is your condition? You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. But you're not really experiencing the life that God has planned for you. Go to John 3.18. John 3.18. Listen to what the Lord says because it's an already done deal in a sense. So in 3.18 he says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not condemned. You do not show up at the white throne judgment. You are not thrown into the lake of fire to experience a second death because you believed. Now let's read a little bit further. But whoever does not believe stands what? Condemned when? Already. You're already dead. You're already dead. Where did that death come from is what we have to recognize. Why would God already see you dead? And we're going to answer that. Why does God already see us dead? And he says, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. There's that name again. Have not believed in that name that was given. If there is a second death, there has to be a first death. And that's what we're trying to get to. To understand when does this first death take place. When is the first death? Understand, again, only God has the power of physical life and death. Job says it this way. God gave, God taken. Not Satan. God gave the life that you are living, even though you are dead, and the real life that he wants you to experience. And then God is the one who calls us home at a certain point. So God gave and God has taken. Now, the Bible tells us both about the physical life and the spiritual life. The sad part about it Most of us get caught up with just the physical life and we let the spiritual life just lag. Not much goes on there. And the shameful part about this, men who are called to be leaders and the heads of their homes, they know very little about Scripture. Therefore, Satan has robbed the family from God. Because the heads who God has created to be the head and have given the responsibility because when Adam was created, way before Eve came on the scene, God told Adam everything he was to do. Adam was to communicate that to Eve and Adam didn't. And therefore when the God comes to him in the third chapter of Genesis, God when he speaks to Adam says, 
you did what the woman told you to do. In other words, you didn't do what I told you to do. You listened to your wife. Now, while I'm on this, let me be very... And I know I'm going to get jumped on, but that's okay. That's what pastors are for sometimes. Men, you are the covering of your house. You are to teach your children, your grandchildren. They know no more than what you can present to them. And God has made you the CEO of your house, of your family. You are the one that is responsible. Well, you say, well, you don't know the woman I live with. Well, God has already told you. After you've done all else, you just stand. You don't have to beat up on her. You don't have to cuss her out. You don't have to call her a bunch of bees. You don't have to do this or do that. All you have to do is believe God and stand. That's all. And that's all Adam had to do. Was just say to Eve... I've been instructed by God not to eat of that tree and nothing would have happened. But he followed the lead of his wife. And one of the worst things that's happening to our homes today, and women, this is not a put down. Let your husband lead and trust God. And trust God. That is not say, shut your mouth. You're the best counselor, best advisor he's going to have. Sometimes my wife says, I told you, but you didn't do what I told you. Well, she's right. I heard her. And there's times I heed that advice, and sometimes I don't heed that advice. Because I don't answer to her. I answer to him. Now, we got off a little bit. But one day I got to do a message on husbands and then a message on wives. But we'll get there if I live long enough. Now, go to Hebrews 2.14 with me. Because I want you to really catch what he's going to say here. Hebrews chapter 2. And, and I want you to see what he's going to say about Satan. But I also want you to be reminded of what I've already said. Satan don't have all power. Satan doesn't have all power. So in 2.14, he makes this statement. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. God shared in our humanity. So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. Who's holding the power of death, in a sense? Satan. But what kind of death? Not physical death, spiritual death. Spiritual death, not physical death. Spiritual death. Who holds the power of death? That is the devil. He holds the power of spiritual death. And we are dead because of Adam's disobedience. So we're already dead even though we are 
alive. And he goes on, he says, and free those who all their lives, they're dead, but all their lives, he's going to free them, were held in slavery by the fear of what? Of death. Now, jump on over, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 50. 1 Corinthians 15 and 50. The question is, O death, where is your victory? And he says, death has been swallowed up in the victory. What victory? The victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. The victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. He conquered death. And when he came forth from the grave, on the cross he died. Third day he what? He arose. He conquered death. So man would not have to fear death anymore. Jesus is sharing with us, yes, you may die physically, but you're not dead. Now, some people truly believe once you die, this is all. This is all it is. Nothing else. If I believe in Jesus Christ and there's nothing else, I can say this. I've lived a wonderful life with my wife and my kids. It's been a wonderful journey. And if this is all true, and I believe it to be true, then boy, that's the icing on the cake. And he says, boy, in that verse 50, he said, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What can't inherit it? Something has to change in us. So just flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. For the Christian, his change takes place the moment he accepts the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's guaranteed a new body when he dies. But his change takes place. He experiences death, that second death, when he accepts the Lord Jesus Christ. And his mind is made up to then live for Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Well, we're going to skip that, but that's talking about the warfare. Let's go to 2 Timothy, because I do want to get to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Then I want to give you four reasons how Satan steals from you this life that God wants you to have. Remember, Scripture de- defines Satan as a thief and a murderer. He comes to steal from us what God desires for us. He comes to kill the spiritual life that God wants us to have. But in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he says, come on, nine, open up eyes. Who have saved us and called us to a holy life? Now catch this. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Now, 
Underline purpose and grace. Purpose, God saved you because he has a purpose for your life. One of our prayers ought to be, if you're a new Christian, Lord, what's my purpose? If you're an old Christian, the prayer should be, Lord, what's my purpose in this season of life? See, a year and a half ago, I thought my purpose was to retire. We had the young man in place to take my place. It didn't work out. My, from my perspective, I was going. From God's perspective, wait a moment. We got the wrong person. We got to get the right person in place. So, don't see as well. Waiting for my hearing aids on September. They've been a blessing because I don't hear everything Elaine says, so I got a good excuse. I didn't hear that, you know. You know. So, come September 1st, I go. She reminded me too this morning even. Remember, September 1st, you got a VA appointment. Get those hearing aids. And the whole thing is not about me and my body. It's about me serving him. And every time I have a, an excuse about my leg hurting or I might fall or this or that, it's about him, not about me. He has a purpose for me yet being here. He has a purpose of you being here. And that's the prayer we want. Lord, what's my purpose? And, and he says, and then the grace Okay, Lord, how are you going to extend favor unto me? Because grace means God's unmerited favor. You don't deserve it, but God, how is your favor going to function in my life? How are you opening doors going to function in my life? Lord, the people I meet, how are they going to function in my life? God's favor. In order to what? Accomplish his purpose that he has for you. And he says, this grace was given in Christ Jesus before the foundation of time. God has a plan for everyone if they will receive him. Now, how does Satan keep us from doing it? When you go back into Genesis, we're not going back there before time because we already know the story. Adam listened to Satan, not to God. Satan spoke through his wife, Eve. And she offered him, take a bite, it's good. And he did. And he was disobedient. And the strange part about it, God didn't show up until Adam acted. He didn't show up when Eve did. He showed up when Adam did. Because the responsibility was given to Adam, not to Eve. And then when we go on over into 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, I want you to see what Satan does. Now, first of all, you have a lot of people who don't believe that there is a Satan. They don't believe that there is a devil. They don't believe that there are demons. If you don't believe this side, then you really don't believe that there's a God. Because the God who tells you about himself also tells you about Satan. Believe me, Satan's not 
telling you about him. But it is God, the Holy Spirit, who is informing us about this enemy to our lives. And what he's able to do. And we need to remember, he's not all powerful. So first in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, in verse 4, I want you to underline what he says. He says, the God, and it's a small g, because Satan is considered the God of this world, the prince of this world. He says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He's done what? Blinded the minds. That's one thing that Satan has done. I'm going to give you a little quote. You may have heard this quote. Take the mind, strengthen the body. Take the mind, but strengthen the body. It was an old slave owner's quote. You did not want the slave to be what? Educated or have knowledge. But you wanted to build his body that he goes out and what? Satan uses that same tactic. Keep the mind from learning about God, but strengthen the body that didn't go out here and party all night long. Strengthen the body that you can go out here and do all the havoc you want to do. Strengthen the body. The daycare here, we, we were congratulating a man on his fifth child. But it was his fifth child with about his third, fourth wife, seventh wife. Anyhow, he had 28 children. Now that body should have been weakened some time ago. Because he got 28 children, can't call all their names. He knows he has 28 children, but he can't even provide for them. Take the mind, but strengthen the body to do all this devilish work. And that's basically what he does when he says he blinds the mind of who? Unbelievers. That they might not know the Lord. Now go also with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Give me a minute there. Ephesians chapter 2. One and two. Understanding how scripture sees us. He says, as you, you were dead in your transgressions and your what? Sin. So as far as God was concerned, you are dead if you're outside of Jesus Christ. You're dead in your transgressions and your sinfulness. You're dead because you're not in Christ. You're separated from me. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Now he's talking to Christians. He said, you used to live this way. You were dead. And you were just out here sinning. You were doing everything wrong. When you followed the ways of this world and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are what? Disobedient. 
Now you got to ask this question. Disobedient to who? Disobedient to the scriptures. Disobedient to God. Disobedient to God. Now, you can follow the rest of these scriptures. But come to Romans 6, 1 through 4 for me. Because now you're going to see the death of the Christian and coming to life. Romans 6. The, the, the question is posed to Paul, do we continue on sinning because now we've been saved so I can do that? If you are saved, you may sin for a while. You may do some of the things you used to do. But as the Holy Spirit grabs hold of you and the scriptures are imparted into your hearts, they separate you from what you used to do because that's not your life anymore. Catch what he says. What should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, Paul says. We died to sin. Now can we live in it any longer? How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized, now baptized means simply this, being put into something. That's all baptism is. Whether you're put into Christ, whether you're put into water, whether you're put into a club, whether you're put into this, baptism just means to be put into. And he says, by no means we died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his what? Into his death. The moment I accept the Lord Jesus Christ, I follow that same example that he did by going to the cross and dying to myself that God's will might be accomplished. I died to myself. That's my death at that time that I've had from Adam. Go over to 15, 1 Corinthians 15, 22 real quick. Listen to what it says because this is what happens to us. Then we'll come right back to there and I'll finish up. Give me a moment. 15.22. And he says, boy, for as in Adam all died. As in Adam all died. We are all the children of Adam. And what the scripture is telling us, through Adam we all died. We are made alive through Jesus Christ. That we have life. And that's what he says here in Romans. That all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live, what kind of life? A new life. You live a new life. Life, not the old life, that is dead, and you live a new life. 
The moment you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, the very evidence of your new life is that you are a changing creature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He's not any longer living like he used to. Those things begin to puzzle him. Those things he begins to shed. Those things he begins to get rid of. He is a new creature in Christ. He is experiencing a new life. From the time you were born, you were dying. You were in death the moment you were born. And the only way you escape that second death is through Jesus Christ who gives you life. Eternal life. So that when the white throne judgment comes up, you're not there because you've already experienced the second death. But if you never accept the Lord Jesus Christ, you will experience the second death at the white throne judgment. Because you never died in this time before. I hope I didn't confuse. I hope I clarified. That was my prayer. That people could leave here understanding that yes, we experience Death. Yes, we experience life. Two deaths, two lives. If you're an unbeliever, the physical death you experience and the spiritual death you experience. If you are a believer, you were born into that death. You experience that. Your second death takes place when you accept Christ. You die to self. And you are living unto the Lord. You are now alive. And a new life. Father, we just thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. And your word really is a light unto our path. It is your word that gives us knowledge and understanding. It is your word, O oh God, that we have to live by and to honor you by. Would you, O oh God, if there's any among us today who have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and have not experienced this second death, would you allow them, Lord, before the sun goes down to experience you and a new life in Christ Jesus? And for us who are born again, would you help us, oh God, to understand that we live and breathe for your glory and for your praise. That we are yours because you gave us new life for a purpose through the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May you minister to us. May we not be a people who are ignorant of your word, but we would be a people, oh God, who sit and eat of your word because your word is bread and life unto us. Help us, I pray, O oh God, to be a shining star in a dark world. I don't have to force people to listen to me, but people will see my life whether they want to see it or not. 
And may they see Jesus walking in this body. In Jesus' name, amen.